We'll go ahead and open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15 to be specific. And as you do, it is, again, it is good to be back with you all today. We, we landed a little after four o'clock yesterday afternoon um, back in Dulles after about 24 plus hours of, of travel. So um, got home a little after seven last night, slept like a baby from about 9.45 until 5.15 this morning um, and ready to rock and roll. Um, and uh, But my stomach who started growling just a little bit ago because it's already thinking dinner time is coming um, um, on that end. But uh, I want to start by saying thank you. Um, thank, thank you uh, for your prayers. Thank you for your encouragement. Um, just thank you in so many ways. I, I, I think I speak for all and say I'm, I'm still processing everything that we experienced and everything we heard. Um, s- s- rest of the team, same thing. I see Mary's head just kind of going, yes, still processing. Like, there's just so much there and there's no way to put it all into words. Um, told the team, I uh, said, you, you, people are going to ask, hey, how did it go? And you can't just say fine or good or great. You got to be able to give a response, but you know, it takes time to be able to formulate that response. And so think about those 30 second responses and then the longer ones th- that come. And so we wouldn't even have time today if we could to dive into everything, but I'm definitely going to try to encapsulate what I, what I can in the time that we have together today along co-aligning with definitely the text of scripture. Um, but one more thank you first. Um, I just want to thank this team. Not all of them are in this service right now and for obvious reasons, um, but I have led a lot of teams to a lot of places in the world. And uh, by God's grace, it has been a, a true joy. Um, and this one was an absolute pleasure to both travel with and to work with. Um, it ranks right up there next to the top. And because after a trip like this, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to like, like each other a whole lot more or you're not. <laughs> um, and I told them beforehand, you're going to know things about your pastor after this trip that you're like, well, I don't know if I really want to know that. Um, because you're just living in cro- 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 uh, close proximity to one another. Um, and everything else. Um, but I am so humbled to be their pastor. I'm so humbled to be their friend. Um, man, Brian, I'm going to be like you today. I'm going to cry. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm going to, but um, and more importantly, to call them brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so, so thank you all. Um, it is a joy to Pastor Harper's Point. Um, now, the entire purpose of this trip um, was to prayerfully consider how we as a church family can or if we should even strategically partner long-term with the work that's going on in Kenya. And I believe, I speak for all, uh, when I say we returned incredibly, incredibly encouraged by the possibilities. As, as we met and we talked with nearly Every IMB, that is International Mission Board, a part of the Southern Baptist Convention of which a portion of every dollar that is given to this church goes to help these missionaries on the field. We met with nearly every leader there in Kenya. Um, there, and specifically in Nairobi. We got to hear their hearts. We, we got to hear or, or see exactly kind of what they're doing in many ways and talk about what that might look like for us to, to partner along with them. And in addition to them, we got to partner with or talk with a local church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, who we've been praying for, Pastor Ken in Bugwa. Uh, we got to talk with him and hear his heart for what's going on in the city and the country and the world. Um, we got to sit down with members of their GO team from Emmanuel Baptist Church. And it's a group of like young 20-somethings from every socioeconomic background, like professional skateboarder, uh, like for reals, uh, like pictures on billboards there in Nairobi. I'm like, dude, you're famous. And 
and then like you got somebody who's living in one of the largest slums in, in all of Africa, um, and you've got somebody who's, who's a lawyer, and they're all united together in Christ and coming together to share the gospel. Um, we got to hear their efforts um, to reaching the unreached, and we'll talk more about them in, in, a, in a little bit, but let's consider Kenya together for a moment. With a population of a little over 50 million people from literally all over the world, and a very religious 50 million people at that. You have Muslims, you have Hindus, you have animists, you have tribal religions, you've got uh, even atheists, though they're not religious, you know that whole thing, but they're there, the whole whole gamut, including Christianity. In fact, the statistics will tell you that Kenya is nearly 80% Christian. That's what statistics will tell you. Because those statistics are very, very misleading because it's 80% Christian in name only. So to be a Christian in Kenya for the most part, and we could even just translate this right back to the United States directly, is to say, I am not Muslim. I am not Hindu. I am not any of these other religions. Um, so I'm naturally, I'm, I'm Christian. It's their, their family heritage but it does not mean that they know or believe the gospel. Again, that's why I say it translates directly back to, to where we live and how it impacts our life. In fact, we asked the question like of numerous different people, what's the greatest hindrance to spreading the gospel in Kenya? It was kind of like the, the ongoing question that we asked, and we asked this of, again, numerous people from, a, from Pastor Ken uh, to career missionaries to, to people who are actively sharing their faith of this GO team that, that I mentioned. Basically, everyone that we talked to, think about what that answer may be. The biggest hindrance to advancing the gospel in Kenya In conversation after conversation, they said the greatest hindrance to the spread of the gospel in Kenya is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel that is being pumped out of America and into the four corners of the world. I'm going to let Pastor Ken, Pastor Ken and Mugwa, define the prosperity gospel for us here. What is this? Well, the prosperity gospel is the call to turn to Jesus. It is a call, come, believe, come to Jesus. Like, what's wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong to call people to come to Jesus, right? But the motivation behind the prosperity gospel, the motivation behind this calling is the turning is health, wealth, husbands, wives, jobs, promotions, etc. In this so-called version of the gospel, Jesus is not what is truly desired pursued and treasured. Jesus is the means to things that the individual truly wants. He is merely the way to receive the material things that our worldly hearts hunger for. And what your heart wants more than God has become your God. And that's something that all of us need to contemplate and to ask ourselves, is there anything in our life, is there anything in my life that I want more than God? Because if the answer is yes, then whatever that is has become your God. That takes real soul searching there, real diving in. What do I want more than God? 
pray that the answer is nothing. But we're singing this song, Lord, help me to believe. Lord, help me to keep wanting you more every, every day. Oh. But imagine, imagine this from the average Kenyan's perspective. Median age in, in Kenya, 19.4. Median age in the United States, 38. Median age in Europe, 41. Median age in parts of other parts of Asia, like Japan, even into like 51. Like 19.4, that's it. Like radically different from the world we're living in. These kids that we see playing in the streets and running up and down, many of them will not live to see their 15th and 16th birthday. They won't make it. A place where the basic illness such as diarrhea could turn deadly. Yes, Nairobi has its skyscrapers and it has its technology and it has its wealth. In many ways, it is first world, but then it is definitely, definitely, definitely a third world country. Still very much a third world country. People coming as refugees from from Sudan and Somalia and Ethiopia and other countries. People coming from the remote towns and villages out of their tribes looking for a hope. And you've got someone saying, hey, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and your kid who won't die. Believe in Jesus and your business will prosper. Believe in Jesus and you'll get these these blessings. What's that person going to do? Okay, I'll believe. Come to these mass crusades and to say, believe in Jesus and you'll get this. And anytime they even hear a gospel preacher, that's exactly what they think is being inferred. And they'll just raise their hand and say, I believe. There's one more thing added to the list, but that is not saving faith. It is not saving faith. Faith. Why? Why is it not saving faith? Because that's not the gospel. We do not come to Christ to get stuff. We come to Christ to get God. To get God. That's it. We come to Christ to get God. But for a large number of professing Christians in Kenya, Christianity is merely a means to an end. Again, same here. Look at our Facebook walls, have conversations. Same here. But our focus right here is Kenya for the moment. So you'll be driving down the street and you're going to see bumper stickers. You know, taxi cabs, cars, whatever, and they're going to say, Blessed. They're going to have them say God's blessing. They're going to even like go by and be highly favored. You'll drive by a business and it'll be like Jesus Christ Boutique or Jesus Christ Tires. And you know what the average professing Christian in the United States is going to say, even person who's in a church, when, when they go and they say, oh man, that's a Christian business. Oh, that person, they're a Christian. They say blessed on the back. They've greeted me with blessing. It doesn't mean they're a Christian. And here's why. Because they believe those things, that using the name of Jesus 
having a picture of him on their wall in their house, across somewhere in their home, or saying the word blessed will give them some name it and claim it theology, some type of blessing. And that sounds like utterly ridiculous until we stop and realize that the same exists all around us right here in our own community and in various forms and fashions. As we, talking about us here, we we live in a church culture that has in many ways exchanged truth for experience. A culture that cares more about being sent out after church, not with the gospel, but with a spiritual high. Feeling good, whether what they're believing and hearing is true or not. Just, just tack it on the label Christian. You're good to go. Christian music, Christian service, Christian bookstore, Christian church, Christian whatever. Pastor read from the Bible today. Doesn't mean that if he preached it in context or not, but it must be biblical. It must be true. He opened up his Bible and he read from it. All of this is inoculating listeners from actually hearing the gospel. The true gospel. And it's being exported from this country through the TBN and the CBN and the T.D. Jakes and the Joel Osteen and the Joyce Meyer and the Paula White and the Creflo Dollar. And I could just keep on going down that list over and over and over again. They're pumping this stuff out. And it's not just the names that are known. It's churches all around that are based upon this feel-good, warm, prosperity, sentimentalism, and it's a corrupted gospel that is plaguing the world. Now pause there for a moment. We've got that problem with the prosperity gospel. So it means whatever's being shared isn't true at all. (laughs) And now let's look at the other problem that goes hand in hand with this issue. Because Kenya and Nairobi specifically, a city of over 5 million people, consists of 42 different tribes. 43 if you count the growing Indian population. And that doesn't count the growing number of Chinese who are coming into the country for two-year terms and working under the strict authority of the Chinese government. Or the growing number of peoples from around the world who are coming in and calling Nairobi home. But among these 42 tribes of Kenya, you've got 13 that would be clearly, clearly classified as unreached and mostly unengaged, meaning less than a 2% evangelical presence. And many of those, again, relatively unengaged, meaning no churches among these people group, no, no churches speaking their ethnic tongue, no disciple making, make, taking place from eth- ethnic speaking to ethnic speaking. You've got Somali and Nubian and the Punjabi and the Gujarati, and the list can go on and on and on, all unreached right there in Nairobi with all these so-called professing Christians. And what do we do? What do we do? And what do we, a church of less than 200 in attendance, with no permanent facility of our own, and no, no massive budget to speak of, like what do we do to make a dent in a light in the darkness? Well, we turn our attention to the Bible first and foremost. And we see what God would have us to do. So open with me to Romans chapter 15. You will not find a scripture on the screen today. Like I was completing this, as you can tell, just like even like on the flight home. <laughs> like just putting these things into 
on pen or paper. Romans 15, Romans being the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in Corinth to the church in Rome. And we're looking at chapter 15 here. We're going to be all over Romans. But we're looking at chapter 15 because Paul's telling his original readers the purpose behind this letter. So look with me at Romans 15, beginning in verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So pause right there for a moment with me. We read this and most of us get geographically kind of where Jerusalem is. If you don't, sorry, can't help you on that one. Uh, But most of us have an an idea of of Jerusalem, but most of us have no idea of what is or much less where Illyricum is. Like what in the world is Illyricum? Well, it is a place in the Old Testament times. And so you know how Italy is shaped like a boot and it kind of comes down. And then right to the right of that, you have the Adriatic Sea that's there. And on the other side of that body of water, You've got modern-day Albania and Montenegro. Well, that's the the, the location of Illyricum. And so Illyricum here, go over here, modern-day Turkey, drop down here. You've got to reverse this because it's like that. But anyway, then you've got like Jerusalem over here, um, side of things. And, And so all throughout that region, Paul in the Mediterranean, Paul has been taking and advancing the gospel and starting churches. That's where he's at. So from Jerusalem all the way through that area, that's where he's been. So he'd go into a new city, he'd go into a new region and begin sharing the gospel. Someone would come to faith in Christ and he would begin to, again, disciple them further. We've got the church in Thessalonica, the church in Colossae and Lystra and Derbe and all the way to Athens and all these other places. And just like the Lord promised, people were coming to faith. So Paul would spend his time there discipling and training and teaching them to observe everything that Christ commanded. And then he would appoint elders and he and those that he had trained would, would do the same. He would do the same. And then he'd be off to a new, cl- new location again to do the same thing in a new city. But then when he was in those other locations, what was he doing? He was writing letters. He would be writing letters back to those churches, correcting, teaching, challenging, encouraging them to hold firm to the gospel. Saying to the Colossians specifically, him we proclaim, referring to Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that, so the purpose of that, we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ being key. Not, not just getting them to say a prayer and be baptized, but to grow in maturity, to be healthy Christians who aren't being deceived by false teaching and healthy Christians who are proclaiming the gospel and making disciples who, who go out making more disciples and then those disciples are growing in maturity. But now when he says in verse 19, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, he doesn't mean everyone in those regions are now believers. He doesn't mean, even mean that there are plenty of churches. Paul never says that, that they've all reached the perfect level of maturity. 
What he's saying is there are ample number of churches and Christians to carry on the work of disciple making without him there. This area has, now has the gospel and has Christians who are responsible for then carrying forth the gospel, making disciples of all nations. And that's true of us as well. When we leave here today, we have every single one of us from this service and the next, every single one of us going out with the mandate to make disciples of all nations. All of us, locally, and globally. This is not an either or. This is a both and. Now here somebody says, well, Jeremy, my neighbor, my neighbor needs Jesus. And we need to send teams to my neighbor, not to Kenya. There's a great, great need here. My response? Oh, but we do send teams to your neighbor. We send teams to neighbors all throughout this city every single week. Who? You, you are the team, you are the person, you are the person where you are planted to to reach the people around you, to share the gospel with those who are closest to you, and then to branch out further from there. We're sending you to reach your neighbor. But see, the, the, the call to make disciples of all nations, again, it's not either or. It's not both and. It's not, well, I'm going to go spend the time overseas or I'm going to spend time in the United States. No, it's do both. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Something every Christian is called to do. And yes, I know there'll be health reasons and various reasons that are legitimate reasons why somebody could not go. That's not what I'm talking about here. But now back to Paul. Paul also knows that the Central Asia region he's been ministering in is only part of the inhabited world. Thus, verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So remember, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Rome. And this is a local church that at the time of writing this letter, Paul had never been to. Never been to Rome. Never visited with them at this particular church. He's heard of the church in Rome, but never been there in person. So it's one of those churches that he, he, he did not start. But he's writing them because he wants the church in Rome to help him get the gospel of Spain. Now, why Spain? Because Spain is way further west than Rome and considered at this time to be the ends of the earth. There are people who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants to establish the church there and to continue to do what he's been doing from Jerusalem to Illyricum. That's why he says in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. 
So Paul's overwhelming passion is to preach the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel. And he's reliant upon the local church to help make this happen. And why the local church? Because the local church is God's means of making disciples of all nations. It's God's plan A for disciple making. So the aim is to have healthy local churches in every town, in every neighborhood, among every people group in all of the world. And then the members of those congregations going out into their communities and making more disciples and starting more churches. But now again, the question is why? Why? Why such an urgency in getting the gospel to those who have never heard? whether it's locally or globally. Well, Paul tells us, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, you've heard me quote this numerous times. We cannot forget this. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, you're gonna hear me quote this over and over and over because it's the declaration, it's the promise that everyone, not some people, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just think about that. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the good news that there's no one, no one who genuinely calls upon the name of the Lord in faith who will not be saved. No one. So no matter how bad, no matter how unbelieving, no matter how like, man, I don't think that dude ever, no, that lady, uh, I don't, no, no matter how bad, if they, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If the gospel was powerful enough to save you, it is powerful enough to save anyone. Let us not forget that. But what lies at the heart of this good news is the absolute necessity of the gospel for all people. This is the argument that Paul sets forth at the very start of his letter in Romans chapter 1. So turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So Paul's telling us here in Romans that there is no one on the planet, not one person on the planet, even the remotest parts of Africa that doesn't have knowledge of God. Not one. Why? Because our team, and it's not just because our team, I'm saying because of what we experience, our, our team has been in some of the remotest parts of Africa. Uh, There's further remote, but we were out pretty far. And even there, the heavens and the earth are declaring the glory of God, and the sky above is proclaiming his handiwork. Like, Utterly breathtaking. To see God's creation in the midst of the Maasai Mara was one of the closest pictures of the Garden of Eden that my eyes have ever seen. 
mountains kind of just serving as the backdrop, if you will. Wherever you turn, there's a volcano off in the far distance. And you got animals from all varying species, like assembled together. Like just there, it's like there together. Giraffes and elephants and zebra, like together. <laughs> and ostrich and wildebeest and water buffalo and cheetah. He's kind of off to the side because nobody wants him in the group. But even the ugly warthog, like there, so many more. But there in the midst of them all was this guy right here. We pulled up on him, like from like me to like first row, second row right here. There's Mr. Lion, dude. It's the king seated on his throne. And seeing him there, and like literally hearing him roar, it was a vivid reminder of the Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan on his throne. A reminder that our God is here and he is not silent. And the reminder that there are people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language that belong to our great God and will believe. And they will one day gather around his throne. So as Paul says, they are without excuse. We know that God exists because he continues to reveal himself to us through his creation. Through the, the fact that we are created in the image of God. There's so many things that are crying out his name. And it's why so many different religions or forms of worship exist. But verse 21 for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the, the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What does Paul mean by this? We'll play it out in our context. The reason that there are so many religions and forms of worship in the world, the reason you can travel to the remotest parts of the world and still find people worshiping the sun and calling it God, or worshiping various images and calling them God, is because they know that there is a God. They know that this isn't an accident. And they may very well be genuine in their worship. But you can be genuine as you want. You can genuinely believe that you're heading in the right direction and still genuinely be wrong. If you're going east and the right direction is north, you're never going to get where you're going. No matter how hard you try, no matter how genuine you may be, you're genuinely going in the wrong direction. That's the reason Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's reminded that there are no innocent people in this world, none. Not in Africa, not in Asia, not in Europe, not in this room. There are no innocent people in the world. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God upon their own initiative. All have turned aside. 
God has revealed himself, we have turned in the opposite direction. Romans 6.23 That's why the wages of sin is death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. And that's what every single person on the planet deserves. And if if the story stopped there, we would get exactly what we deserve. But praise God, the story does not stop there. As Paul tells us, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, which is received by whom and how? By everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. By everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, which means there is hope for the hopeless and is not from materialistic blessings and health and wealth and prosperity. No, the hope that is available to all people is found exclusively in Christ. But here's where many professing Christians who will amen this all day long will affirm the necessity of believing the gospel all day long Here's where they become practicing universalists. When they begin to think about the eternal destiny of of not only those who don't believe, but those who never hear. Thinking that there must be another way for them to be saved. God's got to have another plan, right? There is no other plan. Or maybe they they, they say, there's got to be someone else to do that. That, That's not my responsibility. But Jesus has been very clear that there is no other way of salvation. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Meaning that the truth is believing in Jesus is the only way anyone, anywhere can be saved from their sins. That's it. And that's why Paul brings up a series of questions starting in verse 14 of chapter 10. Again, we've looked at this before. Let's look at it again, and we're going to do it one question at a time. Paul asks, after saying everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, then he asks the pointed question, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And the answer is they can't and they won't. Logically, it is impossible to call on God to save you if you don't believe in God right? Like you're not going to call him either if you don't believe in his existence or his power to save. But then Paul doesn't stop there because then he asks another question. And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Again, they can't and they won't because again, logically you can't believe in anything that you've never heard its existence of. So can't believe in Jesus if you've never heard of Jesus. Can't believe in the the true Jesus if you've never heard the true Jesus. You can't believe the true gospel if you've never heard the true gospel, which leads to Paul's next question. And how are they to hear without someone preaching, proclaiming, telling? Again, they can't and they won't. For someone to, to hear, someone has to share. Someone has to tell someone else the good news if they're going to have, even have a chance of believing. Which leads to Paul's next question. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Again, they can't and they won't. 
Thus the reason Paul is writing to the church in Rome in order to help him get the gospel to Spain. It's the entire premise and go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And it all comes down to this biblical reality. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So reverse it. The church goes and makes disciples and sends those disciples out with the gospel locally and globally to make more disciples. And this isn't just for a select few, but all of us are going locally and globally. And what do we do when we go? As we are going, we share the good news. We tell people how they can be saved from their sin. We tell them of the hope that is found in Christ. And we teach them what it means to follow Christ. And what does the person who is receiving the good news do or hearing the good news do? They hear. (laughs) Now, it could be, I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth hearing, right? Like, we've all experienced that. It could be hardened to heart like Pharaoh hearing. Or it could result in the one hearing doing what? Believing. Believing. And that's not up to us. The results are 100% the work of God. And praise God, it's 100% his work because that means it will be accomplished. But it will only be accomplished if they hear, which requires us going. Why? Because that's the way God designed it. But if they believe, what are they going to do? They're going to call upon the name of the Lord. And if they call upon the name of the Lord, what happens? they will be saved. Like verse 17 again, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And this brings us full circle, church. Because one of the biggest problems affecting the advancement of the gospel in Kenya and even right here in the United States isn't intolerance. It isn't persecution. Though they do loom large, it's that what many people are hearing And even claiming to believe is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It comes straight back to the prosperity gospel and other other forms of distorted gospel. take, Take these men, for example, on the screen. Both would claim to be Christian. Met them on the street as we were out evangelizing. If you were to ask them if they believe in Jesus, they're going to tell you, yes, they believe in Jesus. But through our conversation, it was abundantly clear that they have absolutely no understanding of the gospel. How did you become a Christian? Oh, the Europeans came over, and I was like, I was getting a history lesson. And what does it mean to be a Christian? Oh, I have to obey this and do this and eat this and do that. What about grace? What's grace? No, no understanding of the gospel meaning they're Christian in name only. And by identifying themselves as Christian, what they're really saying is, hey, I'm not a Muslim. They're not the guy who's sitting right next to them in another booth. They're not Hindu from somebody across the way. They're not Christian. Shortly after that, I shared with four young Muslim refugees from Ethiopia. They thought it was pretty cool that I had been to Ethiopia. And I, when I heard the, their language and I said, I kind of greeted them and with a thank you and said, Abbasaganalo, and was able to talk with them. They're like per- perked up with their eyes and uh, there, but we began to talk and these young men had never heard the truth of the gospel. 
Have they heard of Jesus? Yes. But only from what they've heard from their Muslim imam or their family, their culture. That Jesus was a really good prophet, but he never, he's not the son of God. And he definitely did not die on the cross. That is blasphemy. And this is all just tip of the iceberg. Literally people all around the world and statistics will tell us in some shape or form from 2 billion to 3 billion who have never heard the gospel and many of whom have no access to the gospel. No one's sharing the gospel with them. But now it's not all bleak. Not by any means. As by God's grace, there are, there's a growing number of faithful believers rising up within Nairobi and other parts of Kenya. Believers that know the truth, that know the truth and are committed to studying and knowing and obeying and proclaiming the word of God and praise God for them. There was one young lady named Naomi. <laughs> like Naomi put me to shame like in her understanding of the gospel. Like on Monday night, we're all gathered around the table. Monday was just Oh, like awesome day all the way around. And we're having dinner. You saw some of the pictures there. Uh, and she started to share her story and her passion for reaching the people of the Kibera slums, like the largest slum in all of Africa of over 200,000 people. And she so beautifully and powerfully presented the gospel. And I was like, can you come teach at HPCC? Like, can you come and just have like some Bible studies and classes? Like, please. And, and then there was a time of prayer. When we had one Kenyan named John, um, he was going to pray, and uh, he volunteered to go first. And then we're going to have one member from the HPCC team to to pray to kind of close us out. That that individual was Matt. Matt got to go last there, and and as John was praying, I was doing two things. I I, I was saying, "Amen, <laughs> Amen," because this this brother who has Asperger's and has a bit of a stutter, did not stutter one time as he prayed. And he prayed one of the most Christ-exalting prayers that I have ever, ever heard. Scripture being quoted faithfully and beautifully. So yes, like, amen. But I was also at the same time being like, man, I am glad I am not Matt and I am not having to follow this guy in prayer. Like, <laughs> and that's not to not Matt at all. I don't remember a thing that Matt prayed. I'm sure he prayed a faithful Christ-exalting prayer himself, but I was like, dude, prayed wow. To the point you just pointed to Christ. Just pointed to Christ. And I say all this to point to what Christ is doing in this particular believer's life and others. So it's not bleak. It's good. And what's their greatest desire? to make Christ known. And they want us to join them. They're asking, will you come? Will you come? But let us not be arrogant and think that we would come with all the answers. Ah, here come the Wazungu. That's white people. Here come the Wazungu to, to tell us how to do this. Now, the pastor who, who preached at the church we attended on Sunday morning, I have much to learn from him. Much to learn. I hope we can be producing half the fruit that that church is producing. We simply want to join in the work that is already taking place. 
and be faithful in doing so. So after all of our conversations and all of our meetings, we believe, I believe, the most effective ways we as HBCC can come along and help is threefold. One is to pray more intentionally than ever, like intentional year-round prayer for the unreached peoples of Kenya, the faithful churches and Christians in Kenya, and the missionaries serving in Kenya. And we're going to be working towards making that intentional going forward. Two, by continuing to give financially and sacrificially. So and we'll increase different areas and opportunities for that and more information about how to not only to, to send people from our church, but, but also to support missionaries who are serving full-time on the ground, learning the language of the people and attempting to make a dent in the lostness. And three, by, by sending teams to help support the work taking place in any way that we can. From intentional training of men and women for, for pastor training to street evangelism, for prayer walking, working with children and families, and encouraging faithful local churches and missionaries any way we can. So now the question is, will you go? Will you go? Will you go locally and will you go globally? Again, not either or, but both and. Will you give to make it possible for others to go? Will you commit to pray for peoples both locally and globally to come to faith in Christ? And consider this. Consider that you may be the one that God uses to answer your prayer. Consider that you may be the one, your child may be the one. The ones that we're dedicating today may be the ones that God is using to answer our prayers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we will be faithful in taking it to those locally and globally in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And we ask for you to give them ears to hear and hearts to, un- to believe and minds to understand the- these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.